This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. To episode 446 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and thank you for joining us as we navigate the absurdity of German football and Borussia Dortmund in particular. Today, we will discuss a heartbreaking one all draw away to Vorfeld Bochum and all its controversies as Dortmund let their Bundesliga lead slip through their hands like fine sand. But the good news is the Black and Yellows have a home match next, and Bayern look abject even against the worst team in the Bundesliga, so there's still hope for yet another twist. Here to indulge with me in all these wasted opportunities, Stegemann, shenanigans and ill-conceived predictions, <laughs> is Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? There are so many alliterations there. I don't even think I can top what you just did there for the intro. I am doing well, Stefan. How are you? I'm elated. <laughs> Joy Embiid won the MVP last night. I am... Uh, on Clyde 9 and they won the Sixers did game one against the Boston Celtics but obviously that's not what we're here to talk about uh, it's sort of a, a, a weird mix of the two teams I'm supporting right now sitting in Philadelphia where uh, if the Sixers do bad I'm like oh well at least I have Dortmund who can win and then Dortmund screw up and I'm like oh well at least I have the Sixers so uh, <laughs> in the end it's probably both who let me down but uh, for now it's uh, it's an interesting journey <laughs> let's put it this way and um, yeah, the one-all draw, it happened on Friday, it is now Wednesday, and uh, it feels like eons ago, but obviously, um, the annoying part is uh, we still have to talk about it, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of glad we've waited a little bit, because the emotions ran a little high, let's say, <laughs> right after the game, and uh, yeah, for, for various... Uh, Reasons, of course, um, but I guess we'll start with um, what I thought was our best starting lineup currently. Uh, we had uh, Guerrero at left back, uh, we had Hummels and uh, Zule in central defense, and uh, Julian Riasson as a right back, and then Julian Brandt uh, ahead of Emre Can and uh, Jude Bellingham in that number 10, if you will, and uh, I think Daniel Malen and uh, Karim Adeyemi are the currently two best uh, wingers or attacking midfielders and uh, Sebastian Allaire uh, being the holding striker up front, if you will, um, I think is pretty much the best 11 uh, of available players I would have chosen. Um, some, of course, can argue about uh, Marius Wolf and whatnot. Um, but I think currently, looking at the lineup, I was feeling good going into this game. And of course, how else would it be if I think uh, we picked a good lineup and this is our game to win? Because I saw the pitch in Bochum. It did not look uh, like a horrendous potato field uh, like it did in February. So <laughs> um, I thought, okay, uh, we can probably win this game, maybe 2-0, 3-0, something like that. But the football gods had other ideas. Anthony Ludia with a yeah, Sunday shot on a Friday, as we would say in, in Germany, um, right into... The top bins, very annoying to concede that kind of goal. And of course, not without controversy, because I think there was a foul, a shove by uh, 
who was their striker was a Hofmann. Uh, yes, Hofmann against yeah, Chan. Philipp, Philipp Hofmann against Chan um, to to win that header um, that uh, ultimately led to the goal. Um, just just a lot of very annoying things um, to go wrong, but uh, Dortmund hit back instantly. Mats Hummels with a brilliant pass to Daniel Malen. Um, a little bit of luck involved that the. Uh, uh, I think it was Danilo Soares, the uh, Bochum left back, just uh, let it slip through to Malen and um, he squared it off. And uh, Sebastian Alea did get a touch, but not uh, decisive enough to make uh, Riemann save it or uh, you know have it go out of bounds between Adeyemi and the goal, something like that. But uh, Adeyemi was there to slot at home. 1-1 after seven minutes and you think, okay, Dortmund have recovered after the setback very quickly and now you have uh, plenty of time. Um, to to score another goal and uh, I also thought that Bochum would definitely have more errors in them and I mean truth be told there were plenty of uh, goal scoring opportunities I think this one rebound uh, that fell to Karim Adeyemi where he just put it wide on a, on a snapshot I think all still lives rent free in our heads so yeah, uh, Jude Bellingham had had a good chance. Uh, Donny Malen had a had a very good chance. Just a lot of um, yeah, high quality looks in the first half. Uh, not as many in the second half, I would say. But um, yeah, it's overall very disappointing that Dortmund did not manage to find a way to win this because the chances were there aplenty. Uh, Matthias, I don't want to waffle on too long. What what are your thoughts on this game? Uh, maybe before we talk about the referee, even referee? though I've already did. referee. Why something <laughs> happened? I don't know. No. Um, well, you also can't forget Jude Bellingham had that free header right at the end too. Um, and Holmes theoretically scored, but obviously he was offside. Uh, but again, we we will talk about the referee in a minute. It's it's frustrating because there are a few things when Danilo Suarez got that booking. I was like, I even tweeted it. Now it's time for Mon to just torch him because uh, Suarez was kind of their weak link uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, he looked really, really bad in previous matches and as in high form as Mon is, I figured that's just a mismatch they're going to go after because he's already booked. So he's either going to be more uh, cautious or reckless and get a second booking. Uh, which, ironically, he should have gotten. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But that didn't happen. I was really surprised. I would have thought there would have been like, okay, let's just funnel it a little bit more down that side, uh, have Manon and a few more one-on-ones against him and see what can happen. And and that didn't happen. And I thought that was a little bit of an odd, odd happenstance. Now, I can't really sit there. Yes, I did watch the match twice, believe it or not. Uh, because I felt like it was necessarily to watch it a second time and remove the immediate emotion from it. Uh, but as we will talk about uh, emotion in or out, my opinion does not change. Dortmund, uh, you play this match ten times, Dortmund won it nine times. I mean, they they did everything they needed to do to win, except score the goal. Uh, Anthony Losilla's goal, he ended the evening with an XG of 0.1. So that says what the chance was of that even going in. Dortmund 2.7 XG versus 0.9 XG from Bochum. Needless to say, if a penalty would have come into the factor there, Dortmund would have been closer to 3.5. They were the significantly better team in all categories. Now, the one category, uh, I mean, there are a few stats that I always pick out that I find interesting. 
shots on target percentage was roughly the same, 31 to 32 percent, but Dortmund had 22 shots and Bochum had 13. But uh, the, the, the few interesting ones for me were one, crosses. Dortmund had 34, Bochum 13. And I remember over the years, Stefan, I have said that if a team like Dortmund in that caliber starts pinging in a lot of crosses significantly more than the opposition, that's usually not a good sign as to which way the match is going. And on top of that, Dortmund also had 85 long balls versus Bochum's 70. So, uh, but Bochum had 33 clearances. I mean, it shows who was on the front foot. If you look at all the the key metrics, progressive passes, progressive carries, take-ons, all that kind of thing. I mean, Dortmund were just the significantly better team but couldn't get that second goal. And uh, again, we'll talk about the penalty or not given penalty separately. But uh, yeah, it was really, really frustrating because it was an opportunity squandered to a degree. And sometimes you just have matches like that where you can get a ton of chances and not score. I mean, or not score enough. Bochum had that the week before against uh, Wolfsburg, where they had almost the same XG, and they ended up getting absolutely destroyed by Wolfsburg. So, unfortunately, it can just happen. It's unfortunate that it happened this time, and one one thing that somebody did point out on Twitter, and it is an absolutely valid point, is that Bochum has played 1-1 against Bochum, 3-3 against Stuttgart, and 2-all against Schalke. All three matches Dortmund should have won, because they were the better side, and those are six points, which means... Had those gone according to the way the play was going and the, uh, you know, statistically and all that kind of stuff and a little bit more luck on Dortmund's side, Dortmund would now be five points clear of Bayern at the top. But unfortunately, that's not the way football goes. And so now it is no longer in Dortmund's hands. It is now for Bayern to lose. Yeah, that is a very unfortunate headline. And I think... The road performance overall has been a quell of frustration for Dortmund and uh, especially for Dortmund fans because, I mean, first of all, you, you, you need to win this fucking derby. Um, there are no two ways about it. The way of fucking around Dortmund did in this game still annoys me to no end. And um, yeah, we can obviously, you said, a little bit more luck, but I also think a little bit more maturity would have had a little bit more uh, composure and of course, defensive structure, all those things would have helped massively. And uh, so, Dortmund do have themselves to blame for um, not capitalizing on the quote unquote easier fixtures. I know they are all relegation threatened teams, and Dortmund, uh, for whatever reason, historically almost, you could say, uh, struggle against those. But uh, yeah. Uh, I I I think these are all missed opportunities, and Bochum is just the latest addition to that uh, potpourri of uh, losing to inferior teams or not or not beating them, uh, even though you should. And uh, Chuck it on uh, YouTube has asked, uh, you know, with one away win since February against Hoffenheim, how important will Augsburg away be, and do you think that Dortmund can win against Augsburg if Bayern drop points again? And that is a very valid question, and uh, I wish. You know, obviously, I do think they can win, but will they? Who the fuck knows at this point? Because Dortmund have been just dire on the road when it comes to results. And yes, they have been the better team, as you have been pointed out, but they have also been 
not quite as dominant as they have been in home games. And now, obviously, that is the beauty of the Westfalen Stadion. You can't go and say, okay, we have probably one of the best stadiums and best fans bases in the world and not, you know, have that a positive effect uh, on your home games. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Dortmund A have an amazing road support. And, and second of all, uh, these wins uh, or these, these draws were all uh, winnable games. And uh, <laughs> the Stuttgart one, probably the most painful because he literally uh, dropped two points with the last whistle of the game. But um, yeah, I honestly thought going into this game uh, against Bochum that uh, Dortmund would take care of business and would manage to find ways to score. Now, obviously, um, the variance in the sport since football is a low-scoring game, is always a factor. You can be the best team and create a million chances and waste them all. That happens. Uh, it's not new. Um, but still, I'm I'm very frustrated. And uh, again, before we talk about Stegemann and uh, the penalty we absolutely should have gotten, um, I want to talk a little bit also about the substitutions. Um, I thought it was good to bring on Marco Reus and uh, Yusuf Mokoko uh, around the 73rd, 74th minute mark. Uh, for Julian Brandt, uh, who in this game uh, didn't have his best game, and Sebastian Alea, I think, was also a little tired. And uh, you just needed to, you know, a different look. And obviously, Marco Reus created uh, a really great look for uh, Mokoko right off the bat. Uh, really nice combination play through the middle. And uh, if uh, Riemann doesn't have a, you know, a fantastic save, uh, we can probably just bury it right there. But even more so, um, I thought the the substitutions, you know, we brought in Gio Reyna in the 81st minute for Adeyemi, but uh, then Marius Wolf for, for Milan in the 88th and uh, Anthony Modest also, um, where you basically bring out the good old Brechstange. And uh, you talked about the crosses, and I think all the crosses that Dortmund and uh, also Marius Wolf lumped into the box were woeful and unproductive, I would say counterproductive even. Um, because this is the sort of game where I think you need to bring on a Jamie Bino Gittens, uh, someone who can be the guy off the dribble and make something happen in the box, instead of an Anthony Modest who is uh, otherwise not gonna do much. Uh, maybe get at the end of a of a cross and, and head it home. But uh, I think the percentage of of having a successful cross in the box against. Bochum is is way lower than uh, having a, a dribbler create something and uh, you know try to beat them with combination play, especially since they're they're slow and tired at this point of the game. So to me, that was also just the wrong approach uh, to close out the game. I um, was pretty convinced that Jamie Bino Gittens, if he were to come off the bench, uh, would have a positive impact. So I was sad to to not see him. Uh, Gio Reyna, unfortunately, could not uh, add to his late goal <laughs> stunners as he has uh, done so often. Um, I think he had uh, one shot in the end from distance, which uh, went yeah just uh, completely... Um, over the over the net, so I think he just wanted to curl it into the far side, and it was a good shot. It was a good look, let's say, but um, yeah, it didn't come off. And um, yeah, I d I don't know what else to say, but uh, to me, the substitutions weren't quite on point in, in this one. So there is a little bit of uh, criticism for me to level at Tesic and his team, uh, at least from my perspective. I don't know how you see it. You might disagree with me. Uh, entirely and uh, listeners might as well but uh, that's just where that's how I felt watching the game uh, the first time since I did not find the time to watch it the second time no in general I agree I mean Anthony Modest isn't a difference maker it's just it's kind of like you know, throw another body into the box at that point 
and and that's really where the, all those crosses then are coming from. It's like, well, let's hit it to the big man and see if he can do a you know a flick on or something like that. I, I agree, someone like Plano Kittens would be more likely to pull the Bochum defense out of position. And I'll be um, honest, I want to see Dahoud in there in midfield at yeah. some point. Because yeah, I, and Lechan is a ball winner, but do you, you can add another playmaker to the mix, which gives more headaches to, to Bochum. You know, uh, I think there was a report that uh, even Dortmund players have been scratching their heads a little bit uh, against Stuttgart and Bochum that uh, Dahoud hasn't featured, even though obviously Dortmund have made it clear that he will not... Uh, be renewed, but nevertheless, I still think uh, his skill set in such a game can can come in handy. Obviously, at the end, you never know if it really helps or not, but uh, at least in theory, it should. Yeah, you know, I, I was kind of sitting there when I saw Gio Reno come on. I was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, there's, I guess, that late goal um, because he's done it a few times other than, you know, the shot you mentioned. Obviously, he wasn't on there very long, but I, I for the most part, I forgot he was even on the pitch. Um, so it was just at, by that point, I would say it was done, even though of course it wasn't. Um, and, uh, Bellingham had that open header, a free header right at the end. And that would have been one heck of an emotional way to end the match and a deserved one, uh, in my opinion. I don't think I completely disagree with Thomas Lech. Uh, the head coach for Bochum, who then sat in the post-match press conference and said, we absolutely deserved the point. I could not disagree more. Um, but I also understand where he's coming from. He's trying to get his team going in a very tight uh, relegation fight. Where, I mean, if you look from his team's perspective, you know, you know they really rallied hard. It's it's not like they, you know, had a, had a shitty performance for Bochum standards. So I understand what he's trying to say. You know, objectively, you know, the game wasn't as close as the scoreline may suggest, but uh, I can totally understand why he said, said that. Again, I understand where he's coming from, why he's saying it. I just completely disagree. Um, but obviously he's biased. Duh, he's the Bochum coach. Well, it's all we, Matthias. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, going to the to the Augsburg, uh, to that question, can Dortmund beat Augsburg? The big difference is Augsburg, when Dortmund play against them, will have literally nothing to play for. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going anywhere. They're just kind of sitting there waiting to, to end the season. Whereas Bochum, Stuttgart, Schalke, all these teams have something to play for. Um... You know, the the Gladbach will have nothing to play for. Wolfsburg definitely does. And, and obviously, we're going to talk about that in a second. Mainz may or may not at that point. And so we'll kind of see. It's still going to be, it, it, like I said, like I said in the last episode, we could see Dortmund drop points and Bayern gain points and they're top of the table. And then Bayern drop points, Dortmund gain points, they're top of the table. And it could come down to that very final match day and in the final 90 minutes of 35 matches to decide who wins the Bundesliga. And that's, you know, the, the league can, the league lead can change four more times from here until the end of May. So it's definitely not over. Yeah, of course it's not over. Why would it be over? We are one point off Bayern, and uh, you've watched them against Hertha Berlin. I, I'll be honest, I, I couldn't do it to myself because I knew how this game was going to go. But from what I read on Twitter, I knew <laughs> the, 
Bayern looked still like the Bayern, you know, that lost to Mainz and uh, struggled mightily against Hoffenheim and whatnot uh, recently. Um, this this isn't over because Bayern Munich are not the team right now. I mean, of course they can now win the remaining four games. It can always happen. But to me, they don't look like a team that um, that will do that. And uh, of course, uh, on the flip side, Dortmund don't entirely convince me either to be a team that wins out the season. So uh, um, yeah, a lot of uh, things remain uh, in in the balance. And that is a good thing, Matthias. Um, I'm, I'm still looking forward to the next game against... Wolfsburg, even though I'm also a little bit scared and hope it's not going to be the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. Um, because Bochum, even though they are, we are their boogie team for a longer time now, I feel like they have had our number a couple of times recently. So I really do hope that we come out with a win against them. Um, but of course, before uh, we talk more about the run-in, um, I think we have to talk about Sascha Stegemann, and uh, since you are more famous for your rants than I am on this podcast, I will uh, I will leave that one to you. Well, I'm a little tired today, so it may not be as ranty, but um, okay, I, I feel like I need to add a caveat now, because of course reports came out that uh, Stegemann and his family received threats. Uh, that's not cool. Um, I, I agree with Akivatskin saying, you know, with all emotion and passion put into a game, there's no reason to threaten violence against yeah. a match official and his family. That is That's right. You should go absolutely through with it, not just threaten, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> of course, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Um, and, and I mean, I, I wrote that on Twitter and I had a few people say, oh, he deserves everything he gets. It's like, no. well, no, let's... At the end of the day, it's just a game, okay? Let's not forget that. Yeah, and the penalty that, needs to be converted also. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, however, <laughs> that being said, if we look at Zasha Stegemann on the one hand, but also Robert Hartmann, who was the VAR official, on the other hand, this was completely mind-boggling as to why it was not reviewed. Um, in the moment, at full speed, and yes, given Adeyemi's penchant for diving in recent weeks, I don't necessarily blame Stegemann in the first instance to go, mm, probably not. However, that's why we have VAR, and the fact that Robert Hartmann at VAR headquarters said, nah, there's not enough evidence there to say that this was a wrong call. Even though literally everybody afterwards that is an official in any form affiliated with refereeing in the league said, oh, that was a stone cold penalty. The league said it. The referees said it. Sasha Stegemann said it afterwards. I mean, if you needed any more confirmation mm. that it was the clearest penalty ever happened to not be a penalty, Didi Haman said it wasn't a penalty. Well, Didi Haman's an idiot. Yeah, that's why. Um, he is the biggest idiot uh, out there. He's a moron. I mean, he, he is a he's, fucking moron. He, he, God I damn, I hate this guy. Like, uh, he said I, I'm, something... I'm, I'm not even in Germany, and he is a pundit in Germany, <laughs> and, and his moronic thoughts make it in, on my timeline in the reg on the regular and by God, this guy is the stupidest fucking pundit 
in all of world soccer. Please make it stop. Just for the love of God, I do not want to hear his thoughts espoused any longer. There can, there I must mean, be someone better than Didi fucking Hama. I mean, honestly, we've gotten to the point where everyone's like, you know, Lothar Matteo sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, here's just a general rule for German TV. If the player played for Bayern in the 90s, just don't hire him um, because they literally have nothing good to say. So <laughs> that, I mean, Didi Hamann said some weird stuff before that I just like, what? Um, my my favorite part about Didi Hamann, sorry to, to yeah, interrupt no, no. your rant with my rant, but is that he, when he criticized Drew Bellingham for his behavior on the football field, I'm like, buddy, aren't you sitting here because people have to pay off your gambling debt that you have amassed? It's just so very annoying. It is, it's just so very annoying to, to have this guy opinionate on, on things and have his takes. I, they they, are, they are never come from a good place. Just never. I mean, even Marco Rose, when he was a Dortmund coach, was feuding with Didi Harman. Oh, yeah. It's just, this guy is just such a pain in the ass. Yeah, anyway, but, he's not, but he's not going anywhere because of these types of reactions. Because yeah. we know how, how TV Ex- works. Exactly. That's that's why English punditry uh, for the Premier League has so many idiot ex-players saying things. You know, like Gabby Agbon Lahore saying, VAR should be conducted by players. They'd get every call right. It's like, oh, shut up. Anyway. Anyway, uh, back to instance, our idiotic rants. Yeah. <laughs> and hot takes. The, the, the issue with this was, also Manuel Grefe afterwards said, well, you know, I mean, if Adeyemi hadn't have been diving before, obviously that, I mean, he basically did victim shaming in a sense. Um, you know, defending a very bad call that everybody knew was a bad call by blaming the player who got fouled because in the previous weeks he dived. Um, I, like I said, at full speed first instance, I could maybe even see that take. But you have VAR. The fact that it is not looked at. I mean, we're already if we already look at um, Bochum's goal, where I don't understand that. I mean, theoretically, I thought we're looking at all goals um, with VAR. But you know, whatever. But this instance here, um, and I will say the second penalty shout that would have been extremely harsh if that would have been a, a handball penalty against Bochum. Well, it was still a foul um, on Zula though. There was a foul on Zula. I think that's that is one of those where mm, 50-50. It could go either way. I think yeah, if because the, the, if the play was sort of over already. Yeah, if Stegemann would have called the penalty, I think it would have stood. By him not calling it, it didn't stand. In that case, VR said, we don't see something so egregious to make you reconsider that. However, this instant, not the case. Stone Cold penalty. It was, um, uh, I mean... <laughs> To, to quote Sebastian Kiel, I mean, it was cowardice to not look at it. And it really, it, it was, uh, in knowing what's at stake, and this is the problem, this is what drives me nuts. People are only looking at Dortmund against uh, Bayern for the title. Yeah, That's it was also Bayern who erupt. Well, it, because well, they're not in first place thinking they're the best team <laughs> while they're not. No, no, no. I'm no, they go have to battle that. with this conception no it's it's relegation fight yeah now, imagine course. Dortmund wins that one that's a point to the good for everybody else in a relegation fight that now also got robbed by this so the repercussions are significant at both the top and the bottom end of the table and to not to ju- I don't understand that it wasn't 
that the VAR team at least didn't say, hey, Stegemann, you may want to take a look at this. Because I think we can all remember the handball with Bochum that was looked at for, somebody told me, like four minutes to take a closer look at it. To be, mm, is it? Isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? And that was not clear cut. This was a hundred percent. Wasn't even cut. the Bucks. <laughs> no, I mean it was like, how how can that happen? And that's my problem. I'm a fan of VAR. I think it is needed. However, if you're going to have it, use it. And the good thing is this has kicked off the discussion again. Should coaches have challenges? Because in that situation, obviously Tezic would have been like, oh hell no, you are looking at that. Now, Felix Broich went out and said, oh, no, that's not good. That'll add to, you know, more emotion, this, that, and the other, whatever. I, I don't, honestly, I don't care what referees have to say about it. Challenges, if we look at the NFL, that's perfect, great, awesome. Uh, I think it's it's an excellent choice that they made when they instituted that. And I think you have VAR, you have instant replay. Coaches should be allowed to go. Um, I think you should take a look at it. Now, of course, you don't have the counter penalty like you have in football uh, in American football or say well if you get it wrong you lose a timeout and timeouts are very important I mean it's not like you can go hey you lose a substitution that would be a little bit extreme but I think one challenge per half for a situation like that I I cannot I cannot fathom it and yes Stegemann the next day said oh I got it wrong but then he did the thing that drives me nuts where he says, oh, but, you know, we're all just people. Oops, I made a mistake. No, that's why you have fucking VAR. So you don't make the fucking mistake. And how can it be that did Robert, why didn't anybody say Robert Hartmann? Why didn't you say, take another look at it? And yeah, where didn't. was he in the doppel pass? Where was and, Robert and, Hartmann? Because to me, yeah, he made the bigger mistake. Exactly. He's being completely ignored. And just like, like ah, he just gets to coast and Stegemann gets to sit there and take it. And because in situations like that, that's where the VAR says, take another look at this. And if we think about, and I just had to think about the Leverkusen match against Bayern, where twice the referee decided it was not a penalty against Bayern, and it was a dive and a booking twice. VAR said, no, take a look at it. He looked at it and went, nope, both times penalty and obviously not a dive and took the two yellow cards back. And some, and I forget which one of those, wasn't nearly as clear cut as this one. And so I don't understand it now. And I, the reason why I bring up the Leverkusen and Bayern one is because, you know, some people are like, well, it's corruption. Stegemann, Hartmann got paid by Bayern. If it was, if it was Juve level of corruption in the Bundesliga, then Leverkusen would have lost that match against Bayern. Okay? Bayern get a bonus. There's no question about that. But I'm not going to go that far here just because that's, that's saying that, you know, honestly, you have crooked referee. It is still amusing, um, though, that there is but, a photo of uh, Robert Hartmann accepting a, a Bayern shirt <laughs> as a gift. Yes, <laughs> that yes. That's just very the, funny to me. The funny thing was, you know, I actually had a Bayern fan come at me on Twitter. It's like, yeah, well, what about Bellingham, who should have gotten a red card for kicking what's-his-nuts in the head? I'm like, whoa, first of all, in that match, 
I think it was Leroy Sané, um, who had a kick out. Like, well, what about against Hoffenheim where Bayern got screwed? And like the last group of fans that anybody in Germany ever wants to hear complain about refereeing are fucking Bayern fans. So shut up. <laughs> I mean, just shut up. We all got screwed was the final comment. I'm like, no, no, we didn't. No, we didn't all get screwed. Who got screwed in this instant? Borussia Dortmund got screwed. Honestly, Stuttgart Schalke got screwed. Um, hopefully I'm getting screwed. I'm okay with. Uh, but, you know, it, it. the ramifications are too big. You know exactly what's at stake here. You have to look at that. And to not look at that and then instead give Eden Terzic a yellow card for complaining. And Terzic is not Jürgen Klopp or Thomas Tuchel, you know, or Stefan Baumgart. He is not one who's who loses his shit. He's not Christian Streich. You know, he's one of the nicer guys on, on the touchline. And it just compounded it further and further and further. And um, there were... Th- Three extremely questionable situations with one of them being egregious, and that's obviously this. I know some people on Twitter said, well, Dortmund shouldn't rely on a penalty. Well, I'm sorry, it's part of the game. If you don't want penalties to be part of the game, just remove them entirely and move on. It would make the difference. It would be the difference. It was the difference for Bayer Leverkusen, okay? And that's just a fact of the game. Dortmund didn't rely on them. If they relied on them, they would have a 0.7 XG and another 2.7 XG. So shut the fuck up. Okay? (laughs) I'm like, no, I will not have that. And having people say, well, good teams win these games. Dortmund's a really good team. Just shut up. Just zip it. I don't want to hear about it. Um, Dortmund should have scored more goals, undoubtedly. But this is a huge goal-scoring opportunity that they were denied to even get. And yes, they would have had to step up and take the penalty. I understand that. There's a chance that that doesn't happen, that there's no goal. However, they were completely robbed of the opportunity to win this game at the end. And yes, I've always said in the NFL or any sport, it shouldn't come down to a last play. You've had the whole game to make something happen. But that's sports. Sometimes it just comes down to one instance, to one play, to one decision, especially when you're talking about something this tight and this important. And so it's completely unacceptable. And I will feel like Dortmund got robbed in this match. That's not to excuse that they should have scored more goals. Both things can be true. Both things can be true at the same time. So let's just say that it is not only that Dortmund could have, should have scored a penalty here, but Bochum would have been down to 10 with Suarez. Would have, this would have also been a booking. So not only that Dortmund get a t- penalty, Bochum down to 10, so this would have been a major swing, obviously, for for uh, Bochum to come back from that more improbable than uh, otherwise. Obviously, <laughs> as we uh, look at the Stuttgart game, improbable does not mean impossible. <laughs> However, Adeyemi 
You know, people are saying, oh, he stuck his leg out. He was searching for... No, he stuck his leg out because he wanted to turn around the defender and he clearly placed the ball with his other leg because he wanted to control it and either set up a shot for himself or pass it on to, I think, who was better positioned, was it Malin or someone? But either way, um, had he gotten the turn, had he pulled it off the way he was going for the ball, which at this point looked very promising, um, Dortmund would have gotten a very big chance. So that's something that was also denied. Um, and this is just very frustrating because I personally would have rather seen Dortmund just score from it than uh, Adeyemi being fouled. And let's be honest, we were very uh, lucky that Adeyemi didn't get injured because the way that Suarez um, jumped into him at high speed with, uh, I don't know if it were both legs outstretched, but at least one was, um, this could have ended uh, in yet another injury. So from from all these standpoints, I don't know why it they they couldn't review it. But more importantly, uh, Sascha Stegemann gaslighting everyone at Borussia Dortmund in the doppelpass to me was the cherry on top, because on the one hand, Edin Terzic protested too much for his liking for him to receive a booking, but then the next day said, if Dortmund had protested more, I might have reviewed it on screen, is such a blatant lie that I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Because Watzke said after afterwards, okay, he apologized, he said they got it wrong, and for us this is over. But And I was sort of in the same camp, you know, mistakes happen, we move on, etc., etc. But when, when he said that in the doppelpass the next day, saying that had Dortmund uh, protested more, I might have reviewed it. To me, that is a very cowardly lie. He is shifting the blame from him to the victim. And my advice to anyone out there, do not date Sascha Stegemann, because that is a ginormous red flag, that he in this situation feels like he, he needs to lie like this, because no protest in the world at this point, and he was surrounded by Dortmund players, left, right, and center, would have cost him to go to the screen. I'm pretty sure uh, the more protest there was, the more he would have been set in this arrogant, exactly. in this exactly. arrogant way to make it a point to not even you know consider it anymore, which it, it just would have never happened anyway. So for him to sit there and lie like this is is... It's very insulting and is revealing what a fucking idiot this guy really is at the core of it. Because we can talk about refereeing all we want, but the, the, the main problem here is that Germany has a refereeing crisis. That the incompetency of officiating this season and previous season is so blatant that it may, needs massive reform to save German football uh, and, and its refereeing crisis from that. Because these people are just terrible and the misservice or disservice he's doing to all the referees in Germany uh, you know be it in professional football but even more importantly probably in amateur football uh, where people read this oh we just have to protest more to get the call cool we'll do that is is the wrongest message you can send out and so to me that completely disqualified this this guy as a, as a person to be a referee because 
you know, I think Sandro Wagner was on the zone who who leveled, you know, right during the game or right after the game. You know, the criticism at Schegemann for for the way he officiated game, calling him arrogant and just uh, not above board. And that's Sandro Wagner yeah, calling someone arrogant. Yeah, just just a note, yeah. Sandro Wagner. Yeah, but that that's exactly my point, Matthias. That is exactly my point. You know, this this is not the type of officiating I want to see. And and quite frankly, not the kind of person trying to gaslight us all. Uh, the the two days later, um, to I don't know, shift the blame away from him. Like, what is this well, the, even? What, I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? The the problem is, of course, when you have referees in a besser wisser Kultur, which we're both German. I feel confident in saying Germans are know it alls. They are. Um, it's, as my wife, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and we're being too my, literal all the time. It's too. very annoying. Yes, yes. yes. We're, we're both married to non-Germans. So, granted, my wife is Swiss, so that's like non-German light. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, honey. Um, <laughs> no, the... All that stuff's in trouble in this podcast. Yeah, it's not like she's listening. No, the, thank God. The... The fact is, when it comes to refereeing in a general discussion, I watch a lot of Italian and, and English football. And when you look at big matches, just like in Germany, in England, and in Italy, it's always the same one or two refs. It's not like there are three or four to pick from that the league feels confident in can handle this. No, it's always the same one or two. And this is this is at a core a general issue that we have um, in in top league football and then obviously if you extrapolate that to the Champions League Chelsea match uh or the World Cup you know Uruguay match when somebody didn't even know what a handball rule is uh, it it just compounds it to the nth degree uh, and obviously the more micro you get the worse it gets because obviously your pool is more diluted in that sense um you know it just I would hope, just like a certain other referee would hopefully never get a dot one match again, he who shall not be named, <laughs> um, the crooked one, Zasha Stegemann ideally doesn't have to referee another uh, Dortmund match because it, it just, like you said, it's gaslighting per definition and it's just not the truth. And to say, well, if you protest more, well, hell, I mean, how much more can Bayern players protest about every sneeze? I mean, it's that, no, the, the, you don't want to encourage more protesting. I mean, hell, I officiated a youth rec league game on the weekend and I had, uh, you know, 14, 15 year old kids and coaches and parents bitching me out for a correct handball call you know so you're creating a further bad culture and uh to say something like that it's disingenuous like you said it's a lie it shows a lack of character and backbone just say i got it wrong i got it completely wrong i should have done better i'm sorry end the discussion done over but then to double down with bullshit uh then then you're done yeah. However, that still doesn't excuse threats of violence against him and his family. No, but but I just wanted to point out the 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 weird psychological behavior from this referee 
in the whole aftermath is to me yet another talking point why why the DFB is promoting the the, the worst people up that refereeing ladder where I just don't understand what the fuck they're doing. Um, but let's talk about Wolfsburg because I don't know what the fuck they're doing either because they're in seventh place hunting Bayer Leverkusen uh, for um, what uh, probably will be... Um, Uh, Europa League spot uh, Bayer Leverkusen of course also still in the hunt uh, for the Champions League spots I don't think Wolfsburg uh, realistically can get there with uh, Freiburg being a whopping 10 points ahead of them and uh, for Leverkusen I think it's a, it's a it's a stretch to to say the least um, them, them drawing uh, against Union Berlin felt a bit like nail in the coffin um, it's between Freiburg and Leipzig really uh, for who gets the, the fourth spot in Union Berlin of course um, otherwise, I think it's more or less settled. Um, but uh, that all being said, uh, VfL Wolfsburg are a very dangerous team and uh, they have only lost once in their last five games, which came against Gladbach, uh, weirdly enough. Um, but uh, they did just uh, pull off a 3-0 wing against Mainz, who, if you remember, were the second best team in the Rückrundentabelle, second half of the table uh, after they themselves beat Bayern and Wolfsburg also won 5-1 in Bochum. Now granted, um, Bochum is not playing the same way against uh, Wolfsburg uh, as they are against, as they play against uh, Dortmund because it's not a derby and uh, nobody gives a fuck about Wolfsburg because they are the most irrelevant team uh, next to Hoffenheim. So, um, yeah, it, it is a very weird matchup because on the one hand, it's a home game for Dortmund and you expect them to win. On the other hand, uh, Wolfsburg have a very sneaky uh, way to, to hurt you and they have, a, as always, a very good uh, squad together and uh, can make games very weird for you. But I'm just hoping it's not going to be the case this time around. At the same time, uh, Wolfsburg can also simply go to Dortmund, get select 5-0 and, and drive home again and be ho-hum about it. So I don't really know what to expect in this game. Matthias, maybe uh, you can help me out here uh, because I have no idea how to preview a Wolfsburg game at this stage of the season where, um, of course, they have improved uh, over <laughs> their first half performance. Um, but still, you know, they are a, a midfield team by definition and yes, they are in the fight for Europe, but I don't know. I don't know what to make of them. I think at this point we can say Nico Kovac is a better coach than Florian Kofeld. Um, wow. But I, don't, I don't really think anybody kind of kind of um, expected anything less. Nico Kovac is actually a pretty decent coach. Uh, he's proved that a few times. The thing about Wolfsburg, and having looked at the last two matches, they've outscored their opponents 8-1 in those in those last two matches but xg wise it was extremely tight so uh that either means Mainz and Bochum are very very wasteful with a lot of chances and or Wolfsburg are very efficient with also a fair amount of chances and once again two things can be true at the same time so what that tells me is Wolfsburg are open to mistakes at the back because obviously a high XG allowance for Bochum and Mainz. 
is something that would then cause concern, especially we just saw Bochum, and they really didn't do much against uh, Borussia Dortmund. And But at the same time, Wolfsburg had a high XG, which if you converse that, Bochum, as we saw, um, are open and you can score against them. And we can't forget in the XG of 3.5, I believe it was, against uh, Bochum, Wolfsburg had a penalty. So if you deduct the penalty, they had a 2.7 XG. Dortmund had a 2.7 XG against Bochum. Uh, Bochum had 2.6 against uh, Wolfsburg, non-penalty XG. So what that tells me is this is a team Dortmund can beat. They can be open and score goals against them. However, they must be careful and be a little more defensively sound than they were in the um, last few matches. I'm thinking specifically, uh, obviously, Stuttgart. Um, with Bochum, I think overall they did okay. They had a few issues, uh, but overall they were okay. Uh, you also can't discount the fact that when a team pushes so much forward because they know they have to win, they become more susceptible to chances on the other end, even though Bochum really didn't have that many near the end. Um it's a difficult one. I agree with you, Stefan. I think analyzing the matches, this is this is a obviously all four matches remaining are must wins. Blah blah blah. But this is a game where Dortmund most assuredly can score three or more goals because Wolfsburg aren't that great defensively. They have shown that. Now they could hunker down and park the bus and defend even though that's not entirely in their DNA uh, in the last few weeks, at least. And so it it's very hard. I don't know what to make of this Wolfsburg side. Uh, they're capitalizing on other people's poor form to a degree. I watched the horrible match between Leverkusen and Union Berlin. That was really bad. <laughs> um, and so this, yeah, it, it feels weird. I feel confident in Dortmund because they're at home and it's a very clear boost. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the Heimtabelle, uh, Dortmund are very, very good at home in the Westfalenstadion to nobody's surprise. And so I think that will be that impetus to get them over the line, to be focused, to score goals. I expect a match not dissimilar to Frankfurt in the sense that Wolfsburg will have chances. The key thing is, just like against Frankfurt, make sure those chances don't turn into goals. Turn that the other way around. Dortmund will have chances, and they just have to score them. And I think they will. So that's that's my very detailed, masterful <laughs> analysis of what's to come, because this Wolfsburg team's a, real one, re- a really weird one for me to get a hold of. Well, the truth about Wolfsburg is they are very streaky. They have players themselves that are very streaky. Let's look at Lacroix, who, uh, you know, one of their defenders, or Gila Vugi, or Bornau, for that extent. Um, or or Riedle Baku, you know, same. All, all in the category of really, really good on a good day, uh, to the extent that uh, they might have been linked with Dortmund at some point, at least uh, in Lacroix's um, instance, uh, not the other players. Um, but can also be awful, ha- make harebrained mistakes, and same for Castells. He's like the, I don't know, just another Frank Baumann type, um, uh, Oliver Baumann type, sorry, um, who, of course, is the Hoffenheim goalkeeper who, uh, yeah, has his days, but then also a million errors in between. 
Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not a big Maxi Arnold fan in 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 midfield. I think um, that is a position they can certainly upgrade. Um, a player I don't want often struggles with is Wimmer, for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't know. Did we uh, did we already face Jonas Wind? Um, or was he was he a, a, a transfer? I'm not sure. In the mid season, I, I really don't pay that much attention to Wolfsburg. Yeah, we we actually did. Um, yeah, in in the uh, tunnel loss to Wolfsburg uh, before the World Cup, uh, it was Fundem Van de Veen who who scored like uh, in the first minute, um, and then uh, yeah, there was like a, I don't know counter attack at the very end or so. Um, it was just a very shitty game. But um, point being is, I hope that uh, Tessic sticks to the lineup. Uh, he uh, played against. Bochum because uh, it is a a very good lineup Uh, it is a fairly balanced lineup obviously uh, there are always things that can be improved upgraded etc but I think for for this particular game um, you uh, you you just want more pace again and Marlin and uh, Adiemi certainly um, have the, 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 the speed to abuse Wolfsburg's backline because I think this is their, their their major weakness. The the further Wolfsburg go up the pitch, the more comfortable they are on the ball, honestly. So if Dortmund manage to pin them back and to keep them in their own half for the most part, um, like they've done to, I don't know, say Frankfurt, for example, in a recent game, if, if this game looks similar... Um, then I'm very confident that Dortmund win this game. Obviously, <laughs> you need to be a bit more clinical, um, but luckily um, the the Nets and Dortmund uh, have been a bit more uh, open <laughs> in the home games than the, in the away games. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. But here's the one thing that I need to emotionally prepare. Let's say younger or newer Dortmund fans is when you get down to the final stretch of the season and maybe with four games out, we're already at the point. There's something called, (laughs) I don't know if you want to call it the Meister Jitters, but when it really gets into the crunch time and you play for a championship, your teams tighten up. There there will be jitters. They will uh, not play as free-flowing as they would uh, on match day 11 or whatever. Um, so this is certainly a factor that we have to consider happening also to this Dortmund team because um, there are a lot of players that are not experienced with winning championships. I think if you look uh, at, at the Bayern's team versus Dortmund's team, um, very few players in the Dortmund side that actually have won a title and, uh, you know, getting over that hump um, obviously... It, takes takes something special and I do not know if this particular team has it in them yet because they haven't proved it because in order to prove it you actually have to win the thing and uh, they had a golden opportunity after last week and they already squandered the first time uh, no matter how you look at it um, but here's the thing Matthias and we talked about it a little bit after the, the podcast last week I look at this still as a, as a ginormous chance because for Dortmund to win a championship would make so much of a difference for the whole consciousness of this team, of this club 
just going forward, what it means to, to play in the Champions League, uh, coming out of pot one, for example, all these little details, it would it would just be massive for, for Dortmund because to have the argument, a pro palpable, presentable argument that you, in fact, can win a championship at Dortmund is, of course, massive. And uh, also entering the next season with the confidence of being the champions is entirely different as being the team that they closely lost it. Now, obviously, you can take motivation from coming very close but not going quite there, but just having the swagger of a German champion, um, as we've seen with Dortmund do it twice enter a season, um, is something else and is a massive advantage that I want this team to see on top of all the other jubilations that you will, of course, get and all the joy. So... For the short term, I want Dortmund to win the championship for very selfish reasons, because it would make me happy. But also, I think in the medium term, um, there are things to be gained. So, I don't need to tell it to anyone listening to the show that uh, <laughs> it would be very important to win this game. But, uh, dear God, <laughs> please beat these fucking Wolfsburg fucks who... In my opinion, and I don't know where you stand on this, but in my opinion, should not even be a club in the Bundesliga, at least not uh, by the definition of the 50 plus 1 rule and the spirit of it. So, um, it, to me, it's always even more annoying when you lose to a team like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my, my two cents on the whole um, thing. Now, um, we also got a couple of questions, and uh, I think one here... Uh, from Moon8983 on YouTube asking, assuming we've already signed Ben Sabaini, who else slash what positions should we enforce in the summer to improve the squad? And Matthias, I'll use this question as a beautiful segue because uh, midfield. Yes. Today, yes, yes. there are reports that Jude Bellingham is close to a move to Real Madrid. This summer, uh, obviously, transfer fees and whatnot. Uh, haven't been discussed, but uh, when Ruhnachrichten even are reporting that uh, this is legit, it is legit. And um, on the one hand, uh, losing Jude Bellingham would be a giant blow for Dortmund because I think he has been a fan favorite. Um, he brought an, an energy to Dortmund that was missing for a long time. And on top of that, he's really, really good. So uh, losing this kid already, even though I think he still has two seasons left on his contract, would be very painful, but on the other hand, I would understand if Dortmund want to cash in or cash out or whatever you want to call it. Well, it's not just because Dortmund want to cash in. I'll talk about that in a second. Yes. Uh, yeah, there are also reports about Mark Bellingham trying to cash in because of some rule. I haven't quite uh, read up about it. I just read the headline, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, it is certainly a development um, that uh, yeah hurts, let's say, because losing Jude Bellingham would uh, absolutely hurt. Um, of course, there is a chance to, um, you know, have a different player in this position who improves our structure in certain moments of the game, certainly, because Jude Bellingham does not have the tactical discipline um, that a player in this role needs to have. And certainly there are micro aspects to improve, but on the other hand, it's such a vert versatile player uh, with such a skill set that... Uh, in in any case, he is a difference maker and uh, losing him uh, will de facto hurt you. There are no two ways around that. So, Matthias, um, 
to me, I think the midfield position is, is probably uh, the, the biggest shout for um, an upgrade slash replacement. Um, but what do you make of uh, these reports uh, concerning Jude Bellingham potentially joining Real Madrid this summer? Well, we, I mean, we all knew there was a very good chance that Bellingham would be leaving after this season um, for a few reasons. One, um, next at the end of next season, he would be ending going into his final contract season, which he'd be most likely not want to extend. And so Dortmund can get more money now. The report is somewhere between 120 and 150 million, which is an insanely high amount of money that Dortmund can then reinvest in other players. The the situation with his father, his father is his agent. Uh, as of October 1st of this year, um, FIFA has a new rule that every agent or everyone acting as an agent that negotiates contracts and earns money off of said player contracts has to be a licensed FIFA agent. Now that in previously, family was excluded from that. Some leagues didn't have that. The MLS didn't have that. I know that very personally, actually, that people who didn't need to be a licensed agent to be an agent uh, for players in the MLS. And so they're kind of tightening that loophole because obviously that that opens things up to corruption, lack of regulation, all those kind of things. I know it's FIFA, but still, uh, you know, to have some structures in place. And Mark Bellingham is not a licensed agent. If he gets the re the deal through that's being reported by multiple sources, he would personally earn about 3 million euros. If it happens next season, he will earn nothing because he will not get licensed between now and then because it takes a while. And so there is a, and the deal will be less money. So obviously he'll you know, they, there'll be less less of a kickback for him, even though transfer fees don't tend to be the big earner for agents. It's more player contracts and wages, be that as it may. Um, there is that personal component. And I'm not going to scream, oh, that's so corrupt. I mean, it's three million euros. I don't know about you, Stefan, but I could use three million euros. And to say, well, if we wait three more months, then we're not going to get three million euros. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, plus, it's Real Madrid. It's not Liverpool. It's not Manchester City, which is kind of kind of interesting. I know would would upset uh, Barcelona uh, and and Atleti, unfortunately. But be that as it may, that is a huge issue for Dortmund because you know when Bellingham came in, you kind of looked where he could fit, kind of that box to box role at that time or around that time frame. You know, Emre Can kind of being a box-to-box -box player, he's no longer that. I think Emre Can has found his spot. It's kind of that that uh, kind of more halfback type position that drops between uh, the two central defenders, and he's really done well there. You have Sally Ochan, who's a completely different type of player. Uh, other central midfielders, you know, Brandt's a different type of player. You need that kind of dynamo. But if you have 120 to 150 million euros then given how well Dortmund have made transfers in the last few years and their scouting, I am confident that they will find someone. And it may, ha may have to be a Moneyball type approach that you recreate Bellingham in the aggregate uh, because he's a generational type talent. It's going to be hard to find exactly him, but you can find 
maybe two players that are close enough to him that you can also have some rotation. So, because Bellingham plays a lot of minutes, it's a lot of miles on 19 year old tires. And so that's, that's the big one that Dortmund have to take care of. I agree. I mean, saying, you know, assuming Dortmund signed Ben Sabahini, I know the reports are very high linking that move, uh, but nothing has been done yet. Ben Sabahini said he wants to leave. So I'm still not 100% sold on that transfer, but left back's a very difficult position to fill. And I know for a fact that can't be Rafa Guerrero. Just can't. He's proven it too many times that he's a defensive liability more often than some other players are. Uh, very interesting, these odd comments recently also that Jaden Sancho has been making, and all of a sudden there's a link between Sancho and Dortmund. I don't see that happening. I, I don't know where he would fit. I mean, at this point, he wouldn't displace Man or Adeyemi. So uh, I think uh, left back and central midfield, and depends on what happens with Mats Hummels, but maybe another central defender for depth. Those would be the areas I would most like to see. Yeah, most definitely we need another central defender. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know before the season we had talked about someone like Amos Pipa. I forget off the top of my head where he landed, but he did land somewhere. Um, But kind of more that. Someone who doesn't expect to play all the time because Schlotterbeck, Zule, that is the de facto starting center-back pairing. But someone who can step in and the drop-off isn't too extreme. So maybe a young one or a veteran who can who kind of understands his his place in the world, so to speak. But ideally, you just re-sign Hummels and then still sign another central yes. defender. I because think Koulibaly is four not is it. better Koulibaly than three. Not it right now. Correct. And then you can sign that younger prospect who's more developed than the other younger prospect that Dortmund have in their second team. Yeah, I mean, midfield is is an aspect that we need to find anyway because I'll be honest um Modahut is quitting or being quit and Jude Bellingham to me at least uh has a lot of qualities but he's never been the absolute playmaker now obviously uh, <laughs> ideally we'd just sign Ilka Gunuan and that'd be the end of that and that'd be very easy but um Honestly, I do think we need we need a number eight that really can break lines with his passing because Jude Bellingham can quite do that. And I don't know if you want to put Julian Brandt in that position long term. I feel like he is even better a bit higher up because of his scoring threat. So there needs to be a player of that caliber in that position, but they are very hard to come by. And I honestly, I personally do not have a clear and obvious um, replacement for that position that, that pops to my head also not because I'm not watching as much football uh, around the world as I used to. Uh, I mean, I was just talking to a friend back in the day. I was starting my day with either Australian football or J league. And then I would progress into the second division in Germany and or Eredivisie and then I would, would watch Bundesliga and when that's done it's Primera Division and when that is over uh, either Argentinian or Brazilian soccer <laughs> uh, so fun times back in the day but uh, sadly I do not have the time to spend a whole Saturday or Sunday like this anymore um, so quite uh, honestly I just don't have the uh, overview right now 
to see what good players are out there. I also don't watch second division football because if I remember correctly, when we signed uh, Gunuan, I mean, I think Nuremberg were in the first division, but they just had been promoted or something like that. Yes. Um, yep. So he, he did uh, originally start out in the second division and I, that's how I assume Dortmund uh, scouted him. Same with Moritz Leitner, who was playing for 1860 and then moved to Augsburg when Augsburg were also still playing the second division. Um, so these are the kinds of players uh, to maybe look at because um, I I would love a long-term <laughs> uh, player for that position who is maybe a little younger and that you can build into the squad because let's face it, no matter who you sign, uh, it is the heart of the midfield and the the, the guy, whoever will be stuck in there, will be absolutely crucial for our success. And ideally, as you said, there's more than one player that Dortmund could rely on because I I hate the idea of, um, you know, thinking, oh, well, uh, player X is injured now. Basically, our entire um, ball progression is in the mud. Um, one player I do think who can be the the the, the second option there is actually Rafael Guerrero and uh, the reports of him in the end actually getting an extension make me optimistic if this is the plan. Obviously, you can stick him at left back if the need is there, but ideally you find someone else to play left back and have Guerrero as number eight because um, while he will still be a defensive liability no matter where he plays on the football field, um, at least from a playmaking perspective, um, that scenario makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if Dortmund are able to find someone better in the in the medium term. So maybe he will uh, be the Jude Bellingham replacement uh, for next season uh, in the in the short term. I don't know, but uh, this is I a like scenario that, that could happen. I, I like that scenario. It makes sense. He knows the club. He's comfortable there. He's obviously proven how good he can be in that position already twice this season. He, you know, when I say defensive liability, obviously positioning defensively, his hustle back isn't great. And like he can't like head the ball ever. Uh, but his um, attacking third counter-pressing is actually really good. So I think if you move him up into that eight and a more progressive, you kind of, you you accentuate his strengths and you kind of protect him against his flaws to a degree. And so uh, that I really like. You know, a quality left-back signing, you put Guerrero in there and then you sign someone for the future in that type of role and you then probably still have a hundred million euros to spend uh, where you can add some depth and some key positions and just have extra money, all honestly, as well, and maybe upgrade one or two spots. I, I, I like that. I think uh, Stefan Butzko is going to be the new sporting director or at least assistant to <laughs> Sebastian Kiel moving forward. I don't think so at all, but uh, this is sort of my... My way of thought, because the only reason if you would uh, extend with Guerrero, it would be for that position, to be honest. And uh, he has shown, especially against shitty teams uh, in the Bundesliga, I think he is uh, an excellent option. Now, do I want him to play in that position against Bayern Munich uh, when you have to do more than just uh, play Hollywood passes? I'm not so entirely sure, but the the thing is, he has played left back so for so much and he has very sporadically played as number eight for Dortmund, that uh, certainly with more chemistry and more playing time in that position, 
um, he can of of course also just improve um, from there on out. But that being said, uh, you cannot ever rely completely on Rafael Guerrero because he's also very injury prone. So if you expect him to play the same amount of minutes as Jude Bellingham is doing this season uh, with uh, what looks to be uh, an ailing knee injury, um, I don't think uh, you will win that bet. So um, there definitely has to be someone else. And uh, obviously I would prefer a, a young number eight that you can groom into that spot over a longer time um, that can build chemistry, that become a figure of identification. Um, because let's face it, um, getting someone that is good enough to appease my standards for the number eight position means to have someone uh, too good for Borussia Dortmund almost. Uh, these players would then move on uh, to leave to an absolute world-class club, like it has happened with Nuri Schein, like it has happened with Ilkay Gündoğan, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I'm. It's, it's very tricky because if you have the perfect number eight, you do not have the perfect number eight and have to replace it. There you go. Anyway, um... <laughs> there's one more there's one more question uh i wanted to uh you know just ask you casually and <laughs> get your thoughts on this uh uh mike sykes blythe <laughs> at biscuits vgc on twitter has asked what do you guys think of the rumored plans to hold the champions league final in the united states it's yes since you are a resident <sighs> of that country uh, <laughs> well, you need to follow me on twitter i would have given you that answer already are you out of your fucking mind? Sorry, not you, listener question, but a Champions League final in the United States? No, 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 no. You want to play the FIFA Club World Cup in the United States? Yes, be my guest. Um, if you want to play a meaningless Super League type thing, fine, whatever. Yeah. But meaningful European Cup final? Absolutely not. I mean, you are robbing the fans of those two clubs from the opportunity of going to it because it's already going to cost a lot of money. It's already going to cost a lot of time. You take vacation, but then you you go from maybe, uh, I don't know, a, a 200 euro round trip Eurowings flight and turn it into a 2000 euro Lufthansa flight to then watch it where Dallas, L.A., you know, not to mention the <laughs> stress it puts on the, <laughs> the, the stress in Newark. Welcome to God. the Champions League in New Jersey. <laughs> in New Jersey. Yes, yes. Be careful. You may get mugged. Um <laughs> The no, and and then the stress it puts on the players with travel time and time to. I mean, it's an idiotic, asinine, stupid idea uh, that that was even like just floated in the ether. I honestly don't think UEFA is going to do it. Um, that would be like, wow, you are insanely stupid. Not putting past them doing stupid things, obviously, you know, corruption is as rampant in UEFA as anywhere, but that would be one bridge too far. I think that would just be that would be crazy. I mean, it's already bad enough that some other leagues have sold their soul for certain cups 
to Saudi Arabia or something. I'll Which be honest, dumb, if Leipzig win the cup and Bayern win the Champions League, uh, 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 I'm sorry, win the, win the German Send League, them. then North Korea is a good sure. host country for the <laughs> DFL Super Cup. Or North Korea, Tehran, you know, I, see, I hear they're lovely this time of year. Um... No, but I mean, again, if it's a meaningless super super cup or super league, <laughs> uh, super cup, fine. I don't honestly that doesn't really bother me because unless Dortmund's in it, I don't watch it anyway. Um, but a, a meaningful cup final, that's just a bad bad idea. And I I live in the United States, obviously I would be like, hey, but guess what? I wouldn't even be able to go. Because of flights and hotel and kids and life and all that it stuff. It would also so, no, be no. completely unaffordable, Stupid. probably, wherever yeah. it is. No, no, no. Especially if it no, were no, no. in I LA, mean, you would not be able to oh, forget it. pay for it. Forget it. Forget it. I mean, it would be turning in. I mean, it's already expensive enough, but I mean, it would it would turn into the Super Bowl type type costing situation where, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who go to the Super Bowl are not fans of teams uh, that are in the Super Bowl. And you would get to that point. I mean, it's already to a degree in the Champions League final, uh, but it's not that extreme. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This needs to be for the fans, not for the customers. If you want customer football, you go watch the Premier League. Whoa. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I was just thinking Manchester City against Arsenal, and I watched that game. I'm like, wow, that is a dead atmosphere. A lot of customers in the empty hat. So, moving on. <laughs> Do you call it empty hat, or <laughs> did I just hear that? Yes. No, I said empty hat. Anywho. Uh, yeah. I think this is a <laughs> this podcast uh, episode has run its course. <laughs> so, Matthias, uh, thank you again for coming on. Uh, to rant, let it all out uh, for a good... That was fun. Yeah, it was. It was. It was fun. It was fun. All things considered, it was a lot of fun. It's always fun with you, Stefan. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really do hope that uh, when we come back next week, uh, there are, uh, <laughs> I don't know, more twists and we can uh, report back from the top of the table and uh, can game out and plan out how we're going to give it up this time in overly, comically stupid fashion. Either Dortmund tripping over themselves or a referee uh, playing the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the hero I was going to say, but, or anti-hero. Um, anyway, um, this was fun, despite uh, this not being a good week and despite the Drew Bellingham rumors. Um, but you know what you're going to do? Um, we'll, we'll still try to look at the bright side and uh, try to make this as much of a title race as it is, because it still is. So um, I'm I'm sure the next uh, weeks uh, are, are going to be very interesting. Um, by the way, we haven't really talked about Bayern's opponent. Don't they play Bremen, who just lost to Schalke in the most embarrassing way? Surely Werder Bremen needs to uh, bounce back from that, right? Yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately, the record against Bayern does not suggest that. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it's funny because Werder Bremen do have a... A history, let's say, with Bayern Munich, and I'm pretty sure the the spirit of the club certainly would absolutely love to ruin Bayern and yet another championship for them. So um, may, maybe maybe these are the ghosts that we can call um, from the old Bremen days when they were the uh, first or second force in German football. Yeah, I mean, they won the double 19 years ago, so God, it's been that long. Yeah, but yeah, it it would be obviously, obviously, we would love it. Um, but uh, I don't think I, I think Niklas Füllkrug is out as well. So ah, ooh. come on, 
I that's the last report I saw. I haven't been tracking it that much, but ooh, that's that's a big loss. That's a big loss. What Marvin go do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh Doksh shoots Borussia Dortmund to a Bundesliga title. He's always known it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the end, if we have to rely on Schalke or Leipzig, I also do not care. Uh, I'm I'm completely fine with that. So uh, as as long as we get to win it in the end, uh, I don't care how it happens. Um, even if it if it happens on a final match day and SFC uh, Köln are the ones to to bring Bayern down, maybe maybe that's how it goes. I have no idea. So um, yeah, we'll we'll in any way we'll be back next week to talk about the uh, next set of shenanigans awaiting us this weekend. So until then, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.